This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not. Because they're real. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Water Cooler Talk, the only podcast on the internet that gives a crap about the earth. That's right, no plastic straws were hurt in the recording of this episode, Annie. Joining us today for a second time on the podcast to discuss and share her insights for our Earth Day-themed episode, Annie Youngblood. Annie, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Adam. Annie, you were challenged on a previous episode by none other than the man, the myth, the legend himself, Chris (laughs) Bales. I don't want to get too much into it because I wanted to save it till the end of the episode, give people a little reason reason to stick around. Mm. Uh, But I just want to throw it out there that a challenge was put forth. Absolutely. Anyways, Annie, last time you were on the podcast, you mentioned if you were to be a dog, you would want to be a mix between a golden retriever and a German shepherd. Annie, are you still that mix or has 16 episodes worth of water cooler talk time passing changed your mind? Oh, that's a great question. I think I am still that mix. I think I would say if I weren't going to mix two dogs, I would just adjust and say um, an Australian Shepherd because I think those qualities that I identified from the two dogs, like having high energy and being smart and loving, protective, I think I can't remember what I said. Either way, I think all those qualities are bound up into an Australian Shepherd. So, If you could have a dog, would you want a dog with the same personality as yourself? Totally. Interesting. Yeah, it's like in 101 Dalmatians, how all of the dogs look like their owners. Yeah. I would want a dog that is somewhat similar to me, but also a little different. You know, get a little challenge. Ah, interesting. Because sometimes it's like, if you're like dating someone who is like the same person as you, you're like, oh, this is... (laughs) So it's the same with a dog. Yeah. For those listening at home thinking they stumbled upon a podcast where we take BuzzFeed quizzes to find out what kind of dogs we are, this is not the right place. Annie, today there will be a question later in the podcast that you don't know what's coming, but today may not be the day for a dog to listen to this podcast. Just a fair warning to any dogs out there, I'm going to go after dogs in this episode. Yikes. And people may love it, they may hate it, they'll just have to stick around to find out. <laughs> but anyways, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Water Cooler Talk, the podcast whose main mission is to connect the world in conversation by taking the strangest, the weirdest, the quirkiest, most bizarre, and most unbelievable real-life news stories and opening up a discussion about some of the ideas presented in those articles. If you want to share a strange and interesting local news story yourself, comment your thoughts on one of today's stories, or send me your favorite pictures of our beautiful Earth. You can email us at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com or connect with us on Instagram at watercoolertalkpod. All right, Annie, are you ready to jump into our first news story of the day? Oh, yeah. Before we start, I want to ask you this question. Would you rather it be hot all the time or cold? all the time. Hot all the time because I really don't like being cold. I mean, I really enjoy snow a lot Mm -hmm. and cold is bearable because you can add layers, but I'd much rather be sweating. Interesting. I'm I'm the opposite. I would rather, I feel like with the cold, you can add on layers to be warm, Mm -hmm. but when it gets hot, once you get naked, there's not much you can do. (laughs) Right. And I'm not a big fan of sweating either. Yeah. Oh. I like to, I like to keep dry. Uh, Anyways, this story is from Live Science Strange News. What if winter lasted for years like it does on Game of Thrones and you are a Game of Thrones fan. Big time. Any suggestions on who you think will end up on the Iron Throne? I really think that it's going to be, I don't know, every time I think, oh, it's going to be Daenerys, and then I'm like, nah, too easy. You think they're going to trick you and be like, it was the easy one all along. They could, I suppose. I don't know. It's tough. Maybe it'll be Bran. I'm going to go with Arya. I think Arya is going to pull it off. Oh, yeah? she's going to surprise everyone. Anyways, this story 
According to Christopher Walkeek, a senior research associate at the University of Albany Atmospheric Science Research Center, we could experience years of winter similar to Game of Thrones, but it is very unlikely. He states that there are only two possible ways this could happen, which include our planet falling in an orbit farther away from the sun, which would be nearly impossible because according to Dr. Alistair Gunn, the Earth has too much mass and moves too quickly in its orbit, creating a momentum too large to be changed because even the largest asteroids wouldn't have enough mass and kinetic energy to change Earth momentum. And if an object did, we would be dead already. So that's the first option. And the other option being the Earth stopping its orbit in mid-February. According to NASA, who may know a thing or two about space, if Earth stopped spinning right at this moment, everything not attached to bedrock would be thrust out into the atmosphere at ludicrous speeds. But if it slowly happened over time, say billions of years, we would eventually get to a point where half the year was daylight and half was nighttime, but also still be dead because the magnetic field would be no more and thus no more protection from cosmic rays or other high energy space particles. So for listeners at home, do not fret because of physics and the fact that we must now fear climate change. Year-long winters and ice ages are a thing of the past. So no winter is coming for us. But what would happen if for some reason the 0.0000000001% event <laughs> happened, Annie? Well, Walchek says, just after a couple of years of snow accumulation, the lingering weather would cause major ecosystem changes, including massive depletions of every species as energy availability is severely depleted. And within hundreds of thousands of years, huge ice sheets and glaciers would cover massive parts of continental land. Annie, in your opinion, why does it take fantasy situations like this for people to realize the effects climate change can have on our world. Interesting. I think one of the biggest challenges about climate change is that for so much of the world, it's not immediately visible. It's a slow process of change and affecting more marginalized communities rather than affecting a lot of people like you and me living in central Minnesota with enough wealth to live a life that we have known forever um, and live it comfortably like we yeah. don't we aren't cold in winter yeah absolutely and so it takes that abstract thought to actually be able to remove yourself from the comfort of what your life is and be able to recognize what might be happening external to yourself no that's actually a really good point and i think a lot of people are drawn to more warmer and warmer areas. That's why a lot of people move towards the equator, for goodness sakes, because they're lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's like it's something you don't really notice. It's such a slight effect that has such a big catastrophic, you know, eventually equals into something catastrophic. Mm-hmm. The one thing I thought about this is kind of people really don't respond well if it's not something extreme. The best example I can use that people will probably be like, oh yeah, that makes sense, is school shootings. Uh-huh. It's like school shootings don't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a minor thing. I think there was some cool statistic off the post on the page, but that said school shootings happen less than people getting killed by refrigerators or something. But it's such an extreme event that's mm-hmm. like, oh crap, this is... I'm actually paying attention to this, even though statistically it doesn't happen a lot. So scientists mentioned this two degrees Celsius number. I don't know if you've heard about Mm -hmm. this. If it warms past this, we're kind of fucked a bit. (laughs) But people, I don't think, look at this specifically as they should. This will be my whole pitch for my 2032 presidential campaign. All right. So even at like a 1.5 degrees Celsius increase, we it would put about 20 to 30 percent of species at risk of extinction. A two degrees Celsius increase would cause most of our ecosystems to struggle and collapse because species wouldn't have enough time to adapt. Because as we know, like throughout history, climate change has ebbed and flowed. It's done the similar thing, but not as quick as it's done now. The reason I think people 
look at this, and maybe this is just because uh, we're in the United States here, but when you look at two, it's not a huge number, right? Mm-hmm. And this is why I want to run out the campaign that I think the rest of the world... Hey guys, this is your friendly neighborhood editor, Adam, speaking here. I just want to let you guys know, through the next few times, I'm going to be saying the metric system but I actually mean the imperial system. Just wanted to inform you guys so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. So yes, the next two to three times that I say the metric system in this rant, I mean the imperial system. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Should change to the metric system, as us, the United States, Liberia, and I think Burma are on, is because you take some place, like, I think the hottest place in the world on average is in Ethiopia. Dalo, Ethiopia, whose annual mean temperature is about 34.4 degrees Celsius. Like, for most of us, you would see that, and maybe it's because we're so wired into what the metric system is that we don't realize that, like, a high Celsius is hot or not. Change that to Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. and you get 93.9 degrees Fahrenheit. And then you change the conversion from 2 degrees Celsius to Fahrenheit, you get about 35.6 degrees Fahrenheit. If you add that on, that's about 129.5 degrees Fahrenheit. I feel like if you hear that compared to uh, 34.4 degrees Celsius, you're like, oh shit, that's a higher number. This is more extreme. I'm on board with climate change. So Annie, do you think if we changed the global warming temperature readout from that 2 degrees Celsius to 35.6 degrees Fahrenheit, people would be more on board for climate change. Or am I just speaking out of my ass? Interesting thought. I... All about tricking the mind. That's what I'm trying to go for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just making it more consumable. Yeah. Well, because I think that, I mean, that would change perceptions in the United States. But if you're, for most of the world, that's running on a system that uses Celsius, like that's what they're used to seeing. Well, that's like, as I was writing this question, I was like, you know, people probably in like Europe are used to Celsius, so they're like, 34.4 is pretty freaking hot. But I think, I just want to go with the extreme. I want to get temperatures in the hundreds. I want to be like, it's really hot. Look at how (laughs) hot it is. Look at how high it is. So, 2032, that's the campaign I'll be running on, is changing the rest of the world to the metric system, just so people can understand that climate change is hot. Huh. That's interesting, because I have heard the two degrees Celsius measure a lot. And I've never even thought about converting it to a Fahrenheit measure. And that does change the way that I think about it a little bit. I think at least for people in the West and the in the United States, Burma and Liberia, it kind of changes. Yeah, it changes it because you really don't think you're like, two. it's not a lot. Some of the most vocal people in climate change are in the United States and they're like, well, I'm pushing out to my audience. Leonardo DiCaprio is pushing out to his audience. Mm-hmm. Hey, a two degree Celsius increase is going to ruin our world. And they're like, it's only two degrees. Well, then that's the other challenge with climate change is it's like so it's such a large scale that you really have to zoom out to see like it doesn't affect an individual in day to day life almost at all, almost anywhere, like even in the places that are most directly affected by climate change. There are probably changes that have been happening that affect the way that they're living, but it's not like a noticeable everyday. Oh, yesterday it was this way, this way and today it's this way. No, that's a really good point. I think people when people look at climate change, they're like, oh, it's going to be hot all summer or all year long. It's right. like, no, that's weather and climate change. Very different. Totally different. And it's not it's. It's going to happen quickly, Mm -hmm. the way we're going about it, but it's not going to happen 
in like a month. Right. It'll be a few years, maybe decades, but mm-hmm. it'll still happen. Yeah. I would like to welcome to the show for her second appearance on the podcast, Annie Youngblood. Annie stopped by last time for her episode, The Pursuit of Happiness, where we talked about how to find happiness in life and debated whether we should be focusing on deep sea or <laughs> space exploration. Uh, this time you returned as a featured guest for our Earth Day episode to help shed a bit of light on how to be better to our Earth. Annie, I have a 15 question Earth Day quiz for high schoolers. Ooh. Uh, you just got a car yourself. So once again, we are unable to give away our in-studio car. Uh, it just keeps <laughs> happening. It's like, we have this studio car. I keep throwing out these opportunities to win it. No one's won the car yet. Oh, no. Or else they have a car and they don't want the new car. Uh, but you can still pay for pride and to be named the ruler of Earth Day. Phenomenal. Annie, are you ready to jump on everyone's favorite quiz show here on the podcast, Earth? I barely know her. Or do I? <laughs> I would love to. Let's start with question number one. Where is the Earth located in the solar system? It is the second planet from the sun. It is the third planet from the sun. It is the fourth planet from the sun. It is the third planet from the sun. Final answer? Final answer. Correct. Nicely done. How old is the Earth? 5 million years old? 10 billion years old? 4.5 billion years old? 4.5 billion years old. Correct. Keep going. Which is the largest ocean on our planet? The Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, the Indian Ocean. The Pacific Ocean. Is that your final answer? Yes. Ooh, correct. Nice. Keep going. (laughs) It covers more than 32% of the globe. It's a big old ocean out there. Which is the largest island? Madagascar, New Guinea, or Greenland? Greenland. Correct. The total area of Greenland is 2,166,000. 86 kilometers squared. What extinct birds live on Mauritius? The phoenix, the emu, or the dodo? Ooh, the dodo. Correct. The uh, dodo became extinct in the 17th century. I think that was the, have you seen the movie Up? Oh, yeah. I think the bird in that movie was a dodo. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. How old are the oldest trees? 3,000 years old, 6,000 years old, 9,000 years old. Oh, goodness. Um, three? 3,000 years old. Let's see. Incorrect. Oh, no. They are 6,000 years old. The African boabab tree. Which is the fastest land animal? Are you an animal fan? Yeah, I like them. The ostrich, the giraffe, the cheetah. Uh, ostrich? Is that your final answer? Well, see, I feel like I've heard that the ostrich is faster than a cheetah, but like cheetah is If it the helps, one. I think the ch- the ostrich runs at 47 miles per hour. If that, that'll be your little lifeline for this question. Oh, fascinating. I feel... I've heard that cheetahs can get up to 60, so I guess I'll change my answer to cheetah. Correct. The cheetah can run 110 kilometers an hour, which I think about 60 to 65. What is the percentage of oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere? 18, 21, 31. Uh, 21. Said that like you knew it right away. Yes. Correct. Dry air contains roughly 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.93% ergon, and 0.038% carbon dioxide and then a small amount of other gases to fill it in. What percentage of the Earth's surface is covered in water? 50, 60, or 70%? 70%. Correct. (laughs) All right, Annie, you have one question wrong so far. Your pride is on the line here. I know, I feel that. Which is the longest mountain range on the planet? The Himalayans, the Rockies, or the Andes? The Himalaya, sorry. Uh, Himalaya. Incorrect. (gasps) The range of the Andes is over 4,300 miles long. Have you gone to the Himalayas? Yes. Yes, you went to... Yeah, I spent four months in Bhutan. They were teaching you the wrong things there. (laughs) Yeah. Which is the highest waterfall in the world? Niagara, Angel, or Iguza? Oh, no. Um... Igazu, maybe. 
that helps. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with the third. Igazu is your saying? Incorrect. The uh. Angel Waterfall is in Venezuela and is <laughs> 3,212 feet tall. Who was the first explorer to reach the South Pole? Rolad Amundsen, Ernst Shackleton, Robert Falcon Scott. Um, Amundsen. I'm hoping it's Robert Falcon Scott. That's a pretty dope name. That is a cool name. That is correct. Nice. The Norwegian explorer and his party reached the South Pole in 1911. What do you think people were doing in 1911 besides exploring the South Pole? Uh, baking, having babies. But not baking the babies. <laughs> what do you call the variation of life forms within an ecosystem? An evolution, a biology, or a biodiversity? Biodiversity? Correct. All right, two questions to go. These are the toughest questions you will uh. have ever for an Earth Day quiz. Do dolphins have teeth? Yes, no, or only the bottle knows dolphins. We will have a story oh, no. about whales coming up, so yeah. you'll need to know if dolphins have teeth or dolphins not. Or maybe have just teeth. bottle phone. Yeah. All of them or just the bottle knows? I think I think all of them. Correct. Okay. <laughs> I actually didn't know that either. Now that I'm thinking about it. I've been taking for granted forever that dolphins have teeth. And when someone's like, do dolphins have teeth? And you start questioning <laughs> knowledge that you like, think you had. They? Yeah. It makes sense now that we know it's correct. Right. Above what altitude are travelers considered to be astronauts? This is your final question in this quiz. 18.6 miles, 31 miles, or 50 miles? 18.6 sounds very specific. So I'm going to go with that. Incorrect. The height is 50 miles. 50 miles consider hmm. so once you go 50 miles you're an astronaut you don't need to go to nasa at all any 80 percent. you are the ruler of earth you didn't get a new wow. car because you already have a new car that's true but for another time maybe <laughs> maybe we'll have a spaceship next time you can win a spaceship listeners if you want more to enjoy from annie make sure to check her out on instagram at annie youngblood annie what can the audience expect from your instagram oh photos of trees and me in trees and mountains perfect not old mountains or not long or not old trees or not long mountains though that's true that is completely true all right let's jump into our second news story of the day this is from independent uk norway refuses to drill for billions of oil leaves industry surprised and disappointed norway's largest party in parliament the labor party has delivered a significant blow to the country's huge oil industry after withdrawing support for exploratory drilling of the lofoten islands in the arctic considered to be a natural wonder in Norway there. The move creates a large parliamentary majority against oil exploration and fuels, no pun intended, the growing opposition to fossil fuels, which has made the country the ninth richest country in the world. The United States and our new favorite audience, Ireland, sits at 11 and 10 respectively. Norway currently pumps out over 1.6 million barrels of oil a day from offshore operations. Uh, just to be clear to all the listeners, Norway didn't ban any drilling. They just now have a parliamentary majority to discuss banning exploratory drilling near this natural wonder for the time being. The area has been kept off limits for years previous through various political deals. It's said that the Lofoten area has between 1 to 3 billion barrels of oil beneath the seabed, and based on today's oil prices, that would be between 65 to $195 billion. Quick, I want to ask you a quick question about billions of dollars, Annie. On this podcast here, I told the audience that I would sell my mom for a billion dollars. Thoughts? <laughs> That's a bold claim, but I can't say it's I blame a you. a lot of money. I don't think it's people <laughs> realize how much a billion dollars is. It is a ton of... You could do a lot of good with that money. I could buy so many moms. Oh, you're trying to replace your mom? <laughs> no, I just... If I needed a mom, I could buy another one. Oh, I suppose so. Do you think your mom would be okay with that if she knew that you were doing it? She for... wasn't a big fan when she heard it, but she hasn't... I We've never seen a billion dollars, so I feel like it's if true. she saw a billion dollars, she would 
maybe think about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, Norway's largest oil producer, Equinar ASA, says gaining access to oil supplies in Lofoten is essential to maintaining production levels of Norway's oil production and providing the predictability dependent upon to improve the country's status. Jonas Gar Stor, leader of Norway's Labor Party, says even though the party opposes the exploratory drilling, they will continue to support the oil industry but wants to push oil firms in the country to commit to a deadline for making all operations emission-free. Norway's oil fund, which sits at $1 trillion, which is way just bigger than a billion dollars. I would sell my mom 10 times over for a trillion dollars. <laughs> the world's largest sovereign wealth fund in which surplus revenue from Norway's oil sales is located is expected to spend billions of dollars on wind and solar power projects in the near future. To put their fund in perspective, they could give a one-time payment to every citizen of Norway, about 5 million people, of about $200,000. And Annie, if the United States had a similar ratio, would mean we could have an oil fund of over $65 trillion, three times bigger than the current national debt of of the U.S. Um, the big thing is here is I want to specifically point out these numbers because it's clear that adding like a few billion dollars, I think it was like 65 to about 200 billion dollars if they were going to drill on this natural reserve here, it wouldn't add much to a trillion dollar kind of fund. It's like right. if people are supporting this, I feel like it's only because they're supporting po like lining their pockets with extra cash. There's no way a few billion dollars, which sounds crazy, is going to change. It's only going to change like a few numbers in the trillions. So right. It's like it's not a big deal to potentially throw away like a natural wonder in your country that could provide tourism for years to come just for a few extra billion dollars. Like, come on, people. So cavalier about so much money, but I do agree. It's not. And did you see the photos of the islands? Yeah, it's gorgeous. Very gorgeous. I feel like anywhere in that like upper peninsula there with like Norway and the UK mm -hmm. is like just very cool places because it's so like fresh and green and like mm -hmm. the populations are well controlled. They have like they have a hundred. They have a trillion dollars of like just money to spend. That's how well they put together their kind of system. And it's just right. like when you do that well. Your country's also going to show that and how it looks and mm -hmm. how it feels to tourists coming in. Yeah. Have you ever been to Norway? No. I have not either. Uh, Annie, with oil, I want to ask you this question. Do you think it's time to wean the world off of fossil fuels and have a bigger focus on producing more renewable energy sources like wind and solar energy? Uh, just a quick fact. At our current consumption rate, we could run out of oil in 53 to 250 years. Absolutely. I think that we should try to move away from it. And wind and solar are great, but I also think that we should be putting more emphasis on geothermal and nuclear energy. But yeah, for sure, it's going to be depleting more quickly as time moves forward. It's causing a lot of problems, especially with the ways in which we're using these fossil fuels, and it's non-renewable. I like that you brought up nuclear energy. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm someone, I very much support nuclear energy. Yeah. I feel like people always put a bad spin on it because they think of all these disasters, and it's like, that was way in the past. It's like, we're so much better on how we handle uranium and plutonium. Mm -hmm. It's such a more reliable energy source for a lot less work, and it's a lot more powerful than kind of anyone consents, but then the way people that oppose it are like, well, remember the Cold War? Same thing if we do nuclear power. And it's like, no, it's actually a pretty positive thing. But with the oil, I think it's important that countries kind of move away, do what Norway's doing. I think Saudi Arabia is doing this as well. They want to, like by 2030, they want to have the biggest oil fund. But because we look at uh, countries like Venezuela, for example, who were very oil rich, and now they had to make new currency because they were so much in inflation that this ruined their country. So it's right. time that 
that countries are like starting to wean off and finding other ways to make money for their country. Annie, do you think it's possible to wean the world off of fossil fuels in our lifetime? In mine and your lifetime? I would say we have another good 70, 80 years. Completely off of it, no. But I think we could move mostly away. I mean, a lot of popularity is growing for things like solar and wind energy. And I think it takes, like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of stigma surrounding some other types of alternative energy, such as nuclear. But if we were to change perceptions of that, it could help to move forward. And I know I've had discussions with folks that really disagree with moving into nuclear, not to move back into that nuclear conversation too much, but... No, let's get nuclear. No, I think it's um, really... I mean, I think the biggest problem with it is that you... We don't really have a reasonable means of disposing yep. of the waste. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a Yucca Mountain, I think is what it was called. I, it started with a Y for sure, okay. um, where... They were burying all of this waste, but then the radiation became a problem to neighboring areas and people felt they could be in danger and they they very well could have. I mean, nuclear waste is dangerous, but there's been talk about burying it in the ocean. But then, I mean, that would definitely have effects on ecosystems in the ocean because it's warm. It's very hot for quite a while. And it's also not a renewable energy source because uranium is not renewable. So if we were to move towards that, that would be something to keep in mind. It's it's uh, especially the uranium that you have to use for nuclear energy is the isotope. I think it's 235. And that one's like less than 1% of all uranium isotopes in the world. So it's not as common and super and it's not renewable but the amount of energy that you get from what you're harvesting and the work that you put into it is so much greater than any other type of alternative energy that I think it's worth it to continue exploring no I think that's a very good point and I would like to point out I'm not a scientist so whatever I say can be taken with a grain of salt but Mm -hmm. I think that's true I think a better future as far as where our energy is coming from is a mix of everything. Mm-hmm. Like we can't be totally dependent on one thing or we get a case on where oil where we could run out in 50 to 250 years or nuclear energy where, yeah, there is a limited amount. So mm-hmm. it's like we need other things to kind of fill it in. So I think they're kind of getting a good collection of as many different energy sources that are positive and we can, you know, because even like wind turbines, like there's negatives to those. Even oh, yeah. like solar, there's negatives to those. Just as far as cost mostly in like space, mm-hmm. but there's always going to be negatives to anything you throw out there. And I think it's important to kind of find a balance between all, th- all however many there probably are and really think about, all right, well, you know, we have to think about the long term because that's where I think a lot of people don't think about. They're only worried about their lifetime. Because mm-hmm. if you think about like oil, rich oil tycoons straight up from Dallas, they don't they don't give a shit about mm-hmm. other people. They're making tons of money. They're doing whatever they want to do in their life. They're controlling governments. They're being like, yeah, yeah, I got my money. I don't, I've never seen Dallas. So I don't know how the show goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just know JR, JR was a character. But anyways, they're controlling a lot of our world. So that's a tough 
health thing as well to get these changes that we need is how do we get these super rich oil tycoons mm-hmm. out of the way? Yeah. I mean, sure, they'll eventually die off, but they're teaching their kids the same philosophies that they lead their life with. You need someone, not just someone, you need multiple people in strong, powerful positions to step up and say, hey, we need to change. Mm -hmm. We've seen that, but we haven't seen that on the level we need it to be, if that makes sense. Right. We probably need to just figure out a way to make those changes that we want work within the system of capitalism, because the reason that these oil tycoons you're mentioning are doing life the way they're doing it is because it's capitalistic. It's beneficial to them within our capitalist society. And if we want our way to work, I think that we have to embed it into this existent system. Kind of feeding or what is it? The Hitting the bird with one stone? Two birds with one Two stone. Bird, yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting those people paid in another way by also coming up with better ways to ensure that we have a more greener future. Mm-hmm. And also the other thing when it comes to if we will see fossil fuels going out in our lifetime, I don't think people realize how much fossil fuels are used. I think 87% of human global energies come from fossil fuels. That's just not going to change overnight. Right. Like yeah. we talked about in the other stories. Like these things don't happen overnight. It's going yeah. to take a while. Uh-huh. I-, I could easily see in like 100, 100 150 years, us being that 87% being under 30, I would think that's pretty reasonable. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it'll just, it'll take time. It'll happen, but it'll just take time. I think that's the important thing. Mm -hmm. All right, Annie, are you ready to jump into our final news story of the day? Talk about some whales. I don't know if whales have teeth. Do you know? Um, I think they have bristles. Okay. Yeah. Now that you said that, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. They have I think they have a name, don't they? The bristles that are in there. Brills? Brills. Wait, is that right? Do whales have teeth? Most mammals have teeth to help them bite and chew their food, making it possible to feed themselves. Scientists group all whales into two categories, tooth whales and baleen whales. As the name suggests, one type of whale has teeth, the other has something very different called baleen instead oh. of teeth. So I think I know what you're talking about, where it's like thin fibers just a bunch together. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm recalling Finding Nemo when the whale was eating all of the krill, and I think they just opened their mouth but kept their what are they called? Uh, baleen. Baleen. Baleens. The baleen stayed together, but then the krill went through them. All right. This is from Public Radio International. Russia agrees to free whales held in whale jail. Have you ever been to Russia, Annie? No. Any interest? A little bit. Yeah. I think the history in Russia is really, really interesting. I would love to kind of learn more about it there. But uh, earlier in the year, videos of dozens of orca and beluga whales being held in a small pen who are awaiting a legal sale to marine parks in China near the Russian city of Nahodka sparked outrage by activists hoping for the Russian government to step in and rescue the whales from their whale jails. After the scandal triggered a wave of criticism, Russia stepped up and signed an agreement with a group of international scientists to free nearly 100 whales and bring charges against four companies for breaking fishing laws. Charles Vanick and John Michael Cousteau, son of famed marine explorer Jacques Cousteau, stated the transition and release of the whales will be difficult and take time. Vinick specifically stated, We have to understand the health conditions of each whale. We also have to look at where it is appropriate to transport them so that they can have the best opportunity to have food and guidance from other adults. So I'm really glad, as someone who's worked with animals and kind of in the animal sphere, I'm really glad that... um, Vinick had included that statement because I think a lot of people don't realize you can't just take a captive animal and put it back into the wild. That's extremely dangerous. He mentioned how they did that with Kiko, the whale made famous in Free Willy, and how it wasn't socialized, so it had no idea to socialize or how to socialize with other whales. And also, it was fed fish its whole life, so it's like it had no idea to hunt. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like a really important thing that this story kind of mentioned because people think a lot with their emotions when it comes to animals, I found, mm-hmm. and it's 
you can't. You have to like really look at the situation and be like, well, if an animal doesn't know how to survive in the wild, just because they're a species from the wild doesn't mean that they'll live when they're released back out. Uh, Annie, I want to ask you this question. When we compare, and this is also the story where we will uh, throw dogs under the bus. Just, oh, no. just wait, it's coming. <laughs> when we compare captive bred versus animals bred in the wild, do you think because of the way their brains are wired differently when it comes to space and freedom, a captive bred animal wouldn't understand that there's life outside of an enclosure because they've never seen it, they were born there, that it makes it okay for us humans to enjoy them for our gain? If they're captive animals or if they've like been bred as domestic animals? That they've been bred in captivity. Like a lot of zoos will breed their animals in captivity. Yeah, there's certainly a difference between domestic and captive. And I think that no, that doesn't make it okay if it's a wild animal that has been bred in captivity because this is not factually supported in any way that I know of. But it seems that they still have instincts and natural guidance that would take them in a way where the the wild is just where they live, you know? Because, like, that's, that's how domesticated animals came to be, was they, over enough time, began to evolve into creatures that were used to living within a human world, and then we have domestic animals. But wild animals, I think, are different in that way, and it doesn't doesn't make it okay that they started there. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. I always, like I said, working with animals, I'm always someone, like, this question weighs heavily on me. Like, you know, you want animals there for obviously like education and rehabilitation, mm-hmm. but then you start to question on what is an animal's purpose. The biggest one that I'm always like back and forth on is like lab grown rats. They were bred and created or more specifically bred to be tested on. And that is their purpose in life. And are you going against like the whole who makes the purpose in life to say they should be free? The, it breeds that philosophical question of are we defined by our purpose? Is whatever we're supposed to be doing here all that matters uh, because if you answer that question with a yes then it kind of gets like a cloud of is lab testing with animals okay is animals having in a zoo okay like all these things bred for a specific purpose it's like well if they're bred for that purpose then is it okay or is it like a nihilistic approach where it's like nothing really matters so who gives a shit and that's something i always think about is like is it okay is that their perp- actual purpose and then you can also think about can another species choose a species purpose yeah that's tough i think that i mean the word purpose is tricky because i don't think that any people or animals or creatures have inherent purpose or meaning I think that everyone and everything is a happy accident and can find intent in their life. Well, humans can find intent because we have that capability as rational creatures. But like purpose is a challenging word to define. But I do think that it's wrong for humans to decide that purpose for an animal, like your example of testing on rats. It's really uncomfortable for me to say it's okay for a human to say, this rat is alive for my benefit. I I grew it for me. I'm going to be doing this for my benefit and for the benefit of humanity. I'm, I mean, a lot of animal testing is done for a greater good. And I don't really want to take that away because I think in a lot of cases it's necessary. However, I think that it's a, a level of dominion over creatures that shouldn't be. But I think that it's acceptable to use them sometimes for like utilitarian purposes. I think that was very well spoken on the fact that who gets to say 
who controls what. Yes. Like when you really think about that, it's like, well, yeah, we're humans, we're the most intelligent animals on the earth. Who gets to decide just because we're smarter than everyone, we get to decide we're better than everyone. Then you kind of look at IQs of people, should smarter people be controlling not so smart people? Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get into so many gray areas where it's just like, well, no, everyone should just do what they need to do in life. And mm-hmm. however that may be decided, I don't know, but I'm not the one to decide that. If people want me to decide it, I will. I'll take on that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, it's important to just say just because we control the birth of something or the breeding of something or the creation of something doesn't automatically give us control over its life path. Yeah, I think that as a human trying to manipulate the way that the earth works for us or manipulate the way that different creatures work for like using the earth and animals as means to ends that benefit us as people is a dangerous path to go down, especially in terms of the future of the planet. And I think people do try to use people are are everyone's like has greed to them like that's Mm -hmm. like kind of the basis of evolution you want to be the best to extend your life to be as long as possible i think people especially with the domestication of animals were like hey this animal has a benefit to me and i'm going to use that to enhance my life Mm -hmm. so that gets to the dog question (laughs) the question everyone's been waiting for Should dogs be blamed for humans' curiosity in obtaining other animals? Uh, Before you go into thinking this is the most ridiculous question ever, let's break down some potential reasoning here, Annie. Dogs, specifically wolves, were the first animal humans were able to domesticate. We can go into the whole goat versus dog thing, who domesticated first debate another time. It makes more sense that a dog would be domesticated before a goat, but whatever, science. But anyways, humans domesticated wolves because they saw a mutually beneficial relationship. Same with cats in ancient Egypt protecting grain. So why wouldn't it be reasonable to say we saw dogs as being beneficial to us, and then goats, and then sheep, and then chicken, horses, oxen, until we finally get to more exotic animals that we would consider to be zoo animals. So are dogs responsible for us wanting exotic animals in our lives? I could get on board with that argument um, in terms of having, I think that a relationship between dogs and humans after being domesticated and having them so in integrated into our lives. I mean, people love dogs, right? They're man's best friend and people form relationships with animals that they can't form with humans sometimes. And that could definitely be a reason to get into a headspace where that type of relationship could be extended to different types of exotic animal animals, I assume. Is that well, Does that kind of get at your question or no? No, yeah, I think that is a good answer to it. My kind of answer to it was, I think with dogs, with cats, with goats, with chicken, with horses, they had a benefit to us as far as survival. Mm -hmm. I don't think exotic animals have any benefit to us besides entertainment. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. We don't need... I don't need to see a whale in my, like, I don't need a whale in my life for anything. Yeah. I don't, maybe, I don't, maybe there's something I could use a whale for. No, there's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, when you get into those exotic animals, and exotic animals, I mean zoo animals, people that were considered to be zoo animals, there's really no reason for them. But then, obviously, you can make the claim that, well, when we domesticated gray wolves, like, we didn't have any need, we did have a need for them for protection. So, no, that's, that's, I was on the right path there. Uh But yeah, I think animals that are domesticated, 
related are beneficial to our survival. Exotic animals in zoos, quotation marks around that, are more for entertainment and mm-hmm. not survival. So we shouldn't be kind of choosing their life path. Oh, yeah. It's I just think, for mm-hmm. our entertainment benefit. Definitely. That's kind of where all of this was going, Annie. Just trying yeah. to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, wa- I just wanted one person to listen to that uh, debate we had and, and look at their dog and be like, you're the reason. You're the reason they exist. zoos exist. That's all I want. <laughs> uh, to wrap up this article and this discussion that nobody expected to take this route, are zoos, Annie, and places like SeaWorld where, where like this could end up beneficial enough to humans to offset the cost to the animals? Basically, do we need zoos? No, I don't like zoos personally. I am on board with the idea of rehab facilities for animals that are injured and helping to redevelop them to be able to sustain their own lives and then reintegrate them into the wild and having people be able to go to one of those rehab facilities and see these animals while they're working to get better, being trained back to be able to live on their own. But uh, zoos without that component of rehabilitation and intent to go back to the wild, I don't think are just. I always have seen zoos as like a necessary evil, but in a good way, Mm -hmm. because the number one thing a zoo does is rehabilitation and conservation work. Like, I feel like people just look over that, glisten over that fact because Mm -hmm. it's not always apparent. But a lot of zoos will do a lot of good work in conservation and land management and other different areas of the world where these animals are coming from. And then the second positive thing is... I don't think people realize how lucky we are to have the ability to go to zoos. I've been to Africa. I've seen a lion in person. Mm -hmm. But the everyday person is not ever going to see a lion in person unless Mm -hmm. it goes to a zoo. The thing I do agree with is I think there are way too many zoos. And a lot of the funding is not going to the places where it needs to go to make these animals happy and very good natured in their enclosures. I feel like if you spend the proper amount of money, animals are very similar to humans. And animals have very specific or very similar thought patterns to humans. It's just because we've developed intelligence and speech, ours is much more complex. So basically, if you build an enclosure that matches all the need to an animal, they'll be fine in the enclosure. They don't need the freedom. Like similar to we as people, if you build an environment around you that can really function well with who you are as a person, you don't need to leave that environment. That's a little philosophical or psychology on if you are someone who always wants to get away, it's the environment around you that's not always the best. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to say that like they're trying to run away from something, but there's something in their environment, their home environment that doesn't, they're not able to find unless they travel. So similar with animals, if you can create that environment around them where they don't need that wide open African plane, they're fine in those enclosures. Yeah, no, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think what for me, more of it is the discomfort of the power dynamic. It feels uncomfortable that humans have the ability to manipulate things that are natural and existent external to us into something that is for our benefit and either neutral or negative to the thing that we are manipulating. So like even if animals are able to live comfortable lives in zoos, the fact that humans are manipulating that natural path or environment for the animal feels uncomfortable because it is for to you as a person or to the animal uncomfortable for me as a person yeah no I definitely I definitely get that and I can see where you're coming from that as far as I think people always want to be very compassionate towards animals there's something about animals that and I think it might be because we see ourselves better than animals and you tend to have more compassion towards things that you feel powerful over because you can kind of control 
control how that compassion comes out of you. So I think that's why people often connect with animals more than humans is because it's like that animal understands me because I'm better than it. Kind of hmm. not in like a negative like that sounds very negative. It's usually a, a very positive kind of energy transfer.、Mm-hmm. But I think that's you know what you said was a very interesting point on this whole debate on if zoos are good or not. It's、mm-hmm. how do I feel about it?、And、yeah. Do the benefits outweigh the negatives? It's one of those discussions where. I don't think there's a right answer. I think zoos are really good, and then zoos are also really bad. But to say what the world would look like if we never had zoos, what would that what would that world look like? I mean, you know, we would never know because humans are inherently greedy.、Mm-hmm. We want what we want. But I think it would be interesting. Maybe some writer out there who's listening—they want to write a world without zoos.、Uh, I think it would be interesting to really look at kind of how we experience the world if animals weren't always so prevalent in our lives. My, this is my million-dollar idea. I might bleep this out. Is I want to build a virtual reality zoo where you go into a room, and this will be sometime in the future where technology is really advanced. You'll put on this mask, and it'll like transport you to like if you want to see an Asian elephant, you'll be transported to like the jungles of Thailand, and like smells will be coming in from.、Thailand. Thailand, and、mm-hmm. f- like the temperature in the room will change to like what Thailand is. There will be sounds playing like a Thailand jungle,、mm-hmm. and you'll see like the elephant in VR, and it'll feel like you're right there, but you're just in a room in some、right. like Connecticut or something. Because I feel like you could only afford it in Connecticut. That would be <laughs> so awesome. Also, yes, yeah. Because one of the things I was thinking earlier, zoos may be beneficial for the point of seeing animals like back in the day, back in 1911, when who knows what people were doing. But we have like recording equipment now, so I mean, it wouldn't be a physical presence of that animal. But you can, in a much more real way, experience animals than you could probably when the idea of zoos was first around. When I was in Africa and I experienced the lion up close, it's the experience is. A hundred and billion times different than if you go to our local Como Zoo and you see the lions there, and it's just very depressing and very negative energy.、Mm-hmm. Where the energy of a wild animal in its natural habitat、mm-hmm. is very, very, very positive, and you can't really experience that in a zoo. Like zoos, I think do a really cool job. And one job I always wanted to do was like a、um, zoo enclosure designer. I feel like that would be such an awesome job. But zoos try to do the best job that they can to kind of make you feel like you're in that area. If you're In Minnesota in winter, and you're、mm-hmm. seeing a lion, you're like, this is not the same experience. Like you can put up African art and African plants, but it's not the same experience.、Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like a virtual kind of zoo would do all those things. Like you could do it from the luxury of your own home. You could travel to wherever you would want to go to travel to see these animals in the luxury of your own home. I may bleep that out because every time I say it, I was like, "That's just such a freaking good idea." <laughs> I don't know the technology behind that, so I'd have to hire someone. If、uh, anyone knows the technology behind that, call me up. Annie, thank you for taking the time to come back and share your perspective about some of the strangest and most interesting news story the world has to offer in a fun and meaningful discussion. Once again, listener, make sure to check out her Instagram at Annie. Young blood, Annie. Before we move on from our Earth Day discussion, I have one final question to ask you about Earth Day and the Earth in general. Will the actions we take today be enough to stall the direct impacts of climate change, or is it too little, too late?、Uh, if we change the way we're acting, then the actions that we take today can stall or delay a lot of the effects of climate change. But based on what a lot of the world is doing right now, like the way that the world is proceeding right now, 
no, I don't think within a reasonable amount of time. But we can change that. I'm super optimistic and idealistic about it. I think that we can do better. Do you have any tips you would like to throw out to the audience? Yeah, just think about what you're doing. Think about the impact that what the way that you're living has on the larger picture that's hard to zoom zoom out and see sometimes. I'm reading between the lines on that, Annie, and you're basically saying get rid of your dog because they caused all of this. <laughs> uh, and as always, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Annie, where we take the strangest and most interesting real-life news stories from around the world and just try to have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. Annie, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you were challenged by Chris Bales to see whoever could have the better Water Cooler Talk podcast episode with Jake Merva as well. How do you think you did in your second appearance, and what words do you have for Chris and Jake? Jake's got his work cut out for him and I enjoyed our conversation a lot. They're heavy topics. It's hard it's hard to talk about a lot and of that's, stuff. And I think but... we had we talked about mental health potentially last time. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and it's and I think one of the things I talked about in that episode is like these discussions need to be had. Oh, yeah. And look how easily we had that conversation. It was fun. It, it, it got deep, but it was also had a light air to it where it's like, I'm not going to be dealing with this the rest of my life. But we had a positive and generally forward moving discussion on a taboo topic that more people should be talking about. Yeah. That's how <laughs> change happens, Annie. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, once again, if you'd like to reach out to the show with a strange local news story, or if you just want to share some of your own comments, you can do so at Water cooler talk pod at gmail.com annie as you know is your floor to close out the show uh in honor of earth day i would like all of your listeners to think about one thing that they could change about their lifestyle that might benefit the earth long term perfect all right guys we will see you for a brand new episode next thursday we are on 10 straight weeks of episodes i think this is episode five in that the mid episode so uh let me know what you think all right guys we will see you next thursday Peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. <laughs>